0: Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast,
1: where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today we're delving into the number one killer of breakthrough.
0: What would that be, Jenny?
1: So for the mature Christian who is already pursuing Christ, already um, you know, walking that that life um, away from, you know, habitual sin and things like that. These mature Christians, the things that we still see that hold them back, number one would be still areas in their heart where there's bitterness or resentment. Number two would be not knowing how to handle disappointment. And number three would be fear of man.
0: Right. And what you see with those who are, who have been disciples of the Lord for a long time, it's almost like, the focus of sin from the lord becomes much much more focused much more narrow in that it's not these blatant issues of addiction it's not these blatant issues of pornography it's not these blatant issues of habitual sin that's constantly there it's actually the the deeper recesses of the heart where the lord is just peeling off layers and those are three of the main issues that you just pointed out that I think most mature Christians can fall susceptible to or even still be struggling with in a lot of ways without even realizing it.
1: Exactly, because when we're talking about a mature Christian who has pursued the Lord maybe for years, who's drawn near to him, who has regular quiet times, who has church attendance, and just that ma- the mature things that you would see. Discipline. In- discipline, yeah, those spiritual disciplines. The way that their bitterness and resentment looks isn't gonna look the same as an immature person.
0: It's going to be much more reserved on the internal workings of the heart and mind.
1: Exactly. Maybe they're not going to struggle with slander. They're not going to struggle with sarcastic comments about a person or, you know, a negative attitude, but maybe inside they're going to have some turmoil.
0: Mm-hmm. And it might manifest in, in more so avoidance and dealing with the issue, knowing like there's this, this turmoil of. I know I'm not supposed to think this way. I know I'm not supposed to feel this way. And so there's this willful rejection of resentment, willful rejection of bitterness, and yet there's still the turmoil of the heart. So
1: there's not an openness of love. The first Corinthians says that love hopes the best. Mm -hmm. And so when you have underlying bitterness and resentment towards someone, usually there's a narrative of not hoping the best in them, of kind of having this track record of I need to be careful, they have issues, and that's kind of where this avoidance and self-protection comes from.
0: Right. And the way it plays out is that it is ultimately we are putting up a framework of mechanism or fence work, a bulwark of protection against our own heart so that we don't because we know we're not supposed to act out of character. We're not supposed to act these ways, but yet at the same time we have that we're, we're acting it out in our heart and the lord looks at the thoughts and the intent of the heart not our actions
1: many times there are mature christians that can't resonate with the with the terms resentment or bitterness but they can resonate with the term frustration
0: oh yeah right there's a there's a lot of instances where people feel um, incredibly frustrated it might come out i would say more so in a cheerful grumbling, <laughs> is kind of how I've seen it play out in more mature believers that they're going to voice that they're not content with decisions that are being made or with how people are acting, but they're not going to come out and say it. They're just going to kind of offhandedly mention things, but really it's, it's still complaining under the guise of concern or complaining under the guise of, uh, of graciousness.
1: And so the the tension that we have to hold is is that there's actually some biblical principles uh, like we know all people aren't perfect, right? And so when what? when when you do have someone that maybe is acting in a way that is very immature or they're really not doing what they should be doing, mm-hmm. right? And so that would invoke an emotion of maybe frustration or whatever. So we're really talking about the heart because mm-hmm. there's a difference between hoping the best on someone and what we're not saying is denying what's present Mm -hmm. and being toxically positive.
0: (laughs) Well, that would be as much so as condoning misbehavior or enabling bad behavior. We're not going to err on the side of um, allowing someone to continue in sin.
1: So, how can we bravely do something about the things that are frustrating us? You know, and so it's like this this constant leaning on the Lord of, for okay, Lord, how much grace do I give, and at what point do I? James says to turn a sinner from their sin is to save them from hell. Yep. So, I have a responsibility to my fellow brother, my fellow sister in Christ, to to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. Some people have used the analogy of like, I have my front yard, you have your front yard. If you allow like a, like, I don't know, like a wild animal to come and wreck your yard, I shouldn't say, oh, let me help you with that and take the animal out of your yard and put it in my yard to help relieve you Mm -hmm. if you're the one that allowed it. And so there's kind of this allowing natural consequences or allowing consequences, which some people feel is, is ungodly to allow people to have their consequences. Like they, some people think- We want
0: to rescue them from their consequences, but what that ultimately brings about is a a negligence of responsibility. And so this person consistently will be stuck in this cycle.
1: Right. If I allowed a lion in my yard- and this ravenous lion, this, you know, let's say it's like a, a sin or a, you know, a spiritual issue.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm allowing this and it's destroying my yard. And you're like, oh, Jenny, I don't want that to happen to you. And you take the lion, you take care of it, or you're picking up the poop behind it, or you're coming into my yard and fixing the fence and fixing the broken windows. Then you're removing the consequences of my choices. Right. And because you've removed the consequences of my choices, it's making it more comfortable for me to allow this lion to stay in my life.
0: It's, it's a funny issue here in the West. We don't like discomfort. I mean, th- there's such a a toxic laziness in the Western mentality, in the Western church. And so and the first sign of discomfort, we're like, oh, we got to fix that. We got to fix that. We got to fix it. We got to make sure everyone's comfortable. And the reality is there we will thrive in discomfort because it reveals the impurity of our heart.
1: If we're allowed to have the consequences. If we're allowed to feel the discomfort consequences, and the yeah.
0: consequences. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And so, you know, sometimes we see people and in their minds, in the name of Christian love, Let's just say, you know, we have a teenager that's on drugs and it's like, well, I don't want them to be homeless. And so I'm going to let them keep living with me, even though they won't get off drugs. I'm I'm going to, you know, so is actually
0: I, a big issue in the West.
1: <laughs> I or or I have a, a person in my life that's dysfunctionally addicted to gambling and it's like, oh, they're losing their car. Well, let me pay for their car payment because mm-hmm. I don't want them to lose their car because without a car, they can't have a job. And if the and so inevitably you're going, you're mending their fences which is taking away the consequences of what they've allowed in their life, which then is making it more comfortable for them to allow that lion in their yard. So we do need to bravely allow people to suffer the consequences of their action and not ignore it, not fix it for them. But we have to guard our hearts and make sure that it's coming from a place of love Mm -hmm. and hoping the best, being bravely, trusting the Lord to to help them as they realize the ravaging that's happening in their yard due to this lion. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for us to watch. It's hard for us to watch someone be destroyed when we love them. But that sometimes people swing the other way and it turns into bitterness because they're constantly cleaning up the yard, mm-hmm. which God didn't ask them to do. And in that they have resentment towards this person because they want this person to change because it's really affecting them. Instead of them taking ownership of, hey, maybe I shouldn't be cleaning up this mess. That's on me. God's not asking me to do this. And that. so the root of my bitterness and resentment is actually coming from something the Lord's not imposing on me, but maybe I somehow feel is my Christian duty.
0: So what we have to do is to be very gracious in our speech, but we speak the truth. Right? We're not going to avoid the things that need to be said. We're going to be very assertive in what we say, but you can be very assertive with love. And so there's this balance that has to be held. But but the issue that we oftentimes find ourselves in is this area of unforgiveness because of these situations.
1: And I like what you said there, Casey. Like our job is to assertively, you know, point out the line. If, if we love them. <laughs> yeah. Then maybe it's like, hey, dude, there's a line in your yard, and I just want to point out all the damage that it's doing, mm-hmm. and I want you to notice that it's also affecting my fence line, and it's affecting their fence line, and what you're allowing in your life is actually bleeding over into ours, and because I love you, I'm going to fearlessly point this out to you.
0: Absolutely, and that's that's the reality of all sin. It is not isolated to yourself. It is not always hidden. It will affect everyone around you.
1: And the hard thing with that is is that people get upset. People don't like yeah. the line being pointed out. They're automatically usually defensive. And then they're usually turn and be like, well, you should have a stronger fence or you should. You know, they try and turn it. It's like all the way back to Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. You know, you gave me this woman. The woman lied to me. You know, the snake Amen. lied to me. Let's shift the blame. And, I, and I'll and i say this is harder and easier for different. With like different the area where yeah. I lean is that I really like resolution and I don't mind pointing out the lion in your yard. I just have to learn to do it in the right context with the right motivation, the right grace.
0: And so what I find in myself when there is an issue that you see in, in that you're not willing to face is this apathetic approach to where there's an avoidance. That would be my propensity. And so there's, it, it depends on the personality, on how things are going to be confronted, how things are going to be addressed, when avoidance is the resolution that I would often seek. Historically, that is not that is not healthy either because the line is still present, and the line isn't being dealt with,
1: and then the enabler pleaser personality would be more apt to, oh, let me come fix your fence, let me repaint your house, let me um, replace that window, and let because that that they feel helpful, they feel like they're helping the person, yeah. and so their version of what they think love is to take away the consequences. You know, your version of what you think love is is to look away and to just don't approach. I'm going
0: to build a bigger wall. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to I'm going to put a
1: sign up. That way I can't <laughs> see into the yard. You know, my approach would be like, let's talk about this. Let's 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 boldly and directly confront you about this lion in your yard which is an issue to the point where you're probably not always going to receive from me because Right. Of the way that I go about it. And then there's there's also a type of person that would also be controlling and and um, demanding and say, you will get rid of that lion or else insert consequence. Yeah. You know, there's this demanding type. There's also this, this victim type that's like, okay, we'll just let the lion in my yard. It's okay if he destroys my house too. As okay.
0: long as you feel better about it.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, And so we have all these different responses to people and their sin and what they allow. So we have to choose to be brave, choose to walk in love, and choose to forgive. And many times what I find is that there's hindrances to forgiveness. Many times the hindrances we have to forgiveness are beliefs. And some of the narratives people have in their mind about forgiveness is, well, if I were to forgive them, then what they're doing is okay. Then that's me saying,
0: you're right, you're justifying their sin. Or condoning If you forgive, it. or you're condoning their sin if you forgive. Yeah.
1: And so they think, well, I can't forgive them because then that's what then that's saying this line is good.
0: Yeah, it's going to make it okay what they did.
1: Or another big hindrance that I see is, well, if I forgive them, then I have to allow them to keep hurting me or have to allow right. them into my life.
0: Yeah, there's this uh, false narrative of believing that you have to trust that person again and therefore allow them into your life, which will then harm you again. But that is, you don't have to trust anyone in forgiveness. It doesn't require reciprocity. It requires you by your will saying, no, I forgive them because I've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. And so that doesn't mean I ever have to trust them again, because honestly, when trust is broken, trust has to be earned.
1: And so there's a biblical principle of reconciliation.
0: Yes. If you're seeking reconciliation, it takes both parties. It takes both parties recognizing wrong, admitting fault, conceding and consolidating to each other's good and saying, hey, I want to make this work. Now, forgiveness is not that. Forgiveness is not reconciliation because reconciliation would then be a bridge of trust starting to be built again. Forgiveness does not require two parties. Forgiveness requires you and the Lord. Right. Oh, well, that's two parties, but I'm talking <laughs> about the people involved in the unforgiveness.
1: Right. And so when there's reconciliation, then there's a fruit of change. There is a showing of a person actually getting the lion out of their yard Yeah. for instance you don't have to keep being friends with them or keep mending their fences or keep allowing them to destroy your fence as long as they still have the lion, you can still forgive them but you can put up a boundary yeah and you can say as long as you choose that like i love you and i'm here and i'm ready for whenever you want to come back but the lion can't come
0: well that that's the reality forgiveness is ultimately for the good of all parties. Um, but reconciliation is going to take an active diligence of both parties. And so you're not always going to reconcile.
1: And we saw this with Jesus, that Jesus didn't say, like, come and I'm going to heal you and provide for you and you can continue to sin. Right. He always said,
0: <laughs> go sin no more. Exactly. Go sin no more. And that that is the reality. You don't have to allow people to abuse your grace.
1: Because when we love them, we want higher standards for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want a. It lion. is the
0: loving thing to hold them accountable if they're Christians, and even if they're close friends in your in your relationship, you there is an accountability that must be held one to another. It's it's honor, it's respect, it's love, it's all encompassing.
1: So, if you find areas in your heart where you are thinking negatively for, towards someone, or you're frustrated with someone, where you see resentment. The first step would be to admit it. Yeah. To not blame that on someone else to own that you're choosing that resentment. You're choosing that
0: well, frustration leads to resentment. Resentment leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to unforgiveness. And so it is a progression. If you the quicker you recognize it, the more apt you are to ward off that ultimate line of destruction because forgiveness will lead Unforgiveness will lead you to the tormentor and to a destruction.
1: Right. One of the number one things that we see whenever we're working through deliverance with someone is bitterness and unforgiveness. Lots of strong warnings. It's the number
0: one issue we've always come across.
1: A lot even with physical healings, we've seen physical healings. Yeah. With it's
0: it's wild the all encompassing aspect of the body, soul, and spirit.
1: Yeah. With forgiveness, usually comes healing, mm-hmm. not just spiritually, but sometimes physically. Yeah. And so, let's talk a little bit about the second thing, which is not knowing how to handle disappointment.
0: Mm-hmm. What we end up doing in the realm of disappointment is we start to build a framework around ourselves to protect us from disappointment, and so that that can be a wide spectrum of coping mechanism that we might use. And I can speak to mine. I mean, it, it's it's very similar to this aspect of avoidance. It It manifests in apathy. So I will build a wall of, I don't care. And therefore, if I don't care, it can't affect me. And if it can't affect me, then I can't be disappointed.
1: And for so many people, this goes back so far that they can't remember when it started. Mm, It's mm -hmm. just always been this way. They've just always functioned this way. The way that mine was is that I literally couldn't get excited about things I should be able to get excited about. Yeah. That I just had no excitement in my life. And I didn't realize it was a protection mechanism from disappointment, that I was afraid if I got excited, I was going to be let down. It was going to hurt so bad it would destroy me. But going in and doing the, the heart work and the inner healing, I found this memory where I was four years old. And in this memory, um, my sister is 11 months older, so we were best friends ever since I was born. She was always there with me until she goes off to kindergarten, Right. So every day I'm alone all day until she gets home. I couldn't wait for her to get home. Every day it would be the highlight of my day. Like, oh, Katie's getting home. And one day she comes home. I'm waiting for her. And, you know, just on pins and needles. Can't wait for my best friend. And she has a friend with her. And I was like, great, more friends. This is awesome. And so I run in there, and I'm like, Katie. And she says, get away from me, you annoying brat. And I remember being confused and being like, "What? Like, no, I still love you. Nothing's happened between us. Like, we're best friends." And um and then she said it more demanding and more hateful. And she's like, "Get away from me, you annoying brat." And I was devastated. I was devastated. Mm-hmm.
0: That's hard for a young person to process. And what people don't understand is that the younger you are, and these things affect you the the less reasonable processing you can Use and and apply to those emotions, because now you're just feeling rejection. You're just feeling like like you're alone. Like you're just feeling this huge, overwhelming thing that you never once experienced before. And now you don't have the words or the mindset to be be able to process or validate what you are feeling.
1: And so in that moment, I run to my bedroom and I get on my bed and I create this vow in my heart that, and it was something like this, if I get excited about something, it's not going to happen. And so my natural reaction to that belief is, well, then I can't get excited or the things I want to happen won't happen. And so from then on, until until I found this, this vow that I'd made and and broke it, you know, years and years, 20, 30 years later... I was not able to get excited. And I was subconsciously guarding myself from disappointment. My logical mind is like, this doesn't make sense. I don't know. I don't know why I can't get excited. I remember thinking, if I win the lottery, would I get excited? I'm not sure. It didn't logically make sense. And so it was so deep in me and ingrained in me that, yeah, if I look back, I could see myself guarding myself from excitement so I wouldn't get disappointed. But then when I wanted to get excitement, excited, I literally couldn't make myself until I go and I find this memory. I found this vow. I repent of it. I break it in Jesus name. And then I'm able to start getting excited again for the first time. And I'm in my 30s at this point, you know, and it's like I haven't been able to get excited for as long as I can remember. And so I get excited. And what happens? Something happens that disappoints me. And I was like, God, like, I trusted you. I trusted you so that I let myself get excited. And here I am disappointed. And it just, it feels really hard. And in that moment, I, I just got this impression, this thought that it's not about never getting disappointed. It's about recognizing that he's with me in the disappointment and that I can endure it. It's not as bad as I had remembered. You know, I'm not a a four-year-old anymore. It's not crushing me. You know, I have coping mechanisms. I have intellect and logic now that I didn't have back then. And so it's about going through the disappointment with the comforter, with the Prince of Peace, Mm -hmm. and him carrying you through it. And that's how to handle disappointment
0: well. Mm Mm-hmm. And so what we need is to not set up this framework of protection against disappointment, but have a willingness to allow the Lord to meet us in the midst of disappointment so that um, we can live free. And not free necessarily from disappointment, but free from the constraints of other people. And this is what I mean by that. There's, there's another aspect to disappointment that I philosophically look at. It is when you set an expectation or a goal on someone else that is beyond your control, that is an unrealistic expectation, that is an unrealistic goal that puts you at the mercy of someone else's choices. And when you are at the mercy of someone else's choice and someone else's action or reaction, you now are going to be subjected to that person's inability or ability.
1: Which, biblically... 1 Corinthians 13 says love hopes the best, so we should do. We should hope the best in them. We should put hope, which is excitement, yes, into them, and that's trust into them. Yes. But then what can happen?
0: But what happens in the midst of that is now they can let you down. They can fail you. And so here's a good example that I, I was challenged with when I was reading a parenting book that really— really provoked me and made me pause and it was this aspect of what kind of family goal are you setting are you setting a goal in your family where you're like i want all of my kids to be good i want all of my kids to be christians sounds like a great goal sounds like an awesome uh, opportunity and desire to have but here's the thing you can't save your children you can't make sure that your kids are always good You can put such a constraint upon them to where they act Christian, where they act good, but yet have no true desire of love in their heart to do so. It's mainly based in fear. And so what is a realistic goal and expectation? A realistic goal and expectation is I want to love my kids so that they know the love of God. That's something that is now placed in my control. It's not dependent on their action or inaction. It's dependent on my responsibility. And so if we actually place expectations on others that are realistic, that are, you know what? I'm going to love them as Christ loves me.
1: Grace-filled.
0: It's going to be grace-filled. And I'm going to hope the best because Christ hopes the best in me. That's not saying that they're not ever going to disappoint you. Realistically, they're going to. People are imperfect. And so what I find in this area of disappointment is not so much that we need to protect ourselves. What we need to do is have a framework in our mind of realistic expectation a framework of realistic goals to where the choices we make and the actions or reactions we make are dependent upon our responsibility not someone else's
1: and so let's talk about disappointment with god another big area of disappointment so this isn't talking about someone letting us down but it would be our perception of him letting us down Mm. and and I think so much of it does go back to our perception. And so if we perceived that he allowed some sort of pain or heartache or trauma or hard thing to happen, then we have something against him. But what's the truth? The truth is, is that the enemy comes to still kill and destroy, but God came to give life and life abundant. And Our perception might be that God allowed this pain, allowed this heartache, allowed this trauma, but in reality, he came to walk us through the fire, to give us a way through hard things. It's the enemy and free choice of man where a lot of destruction comes from. A lot of people's pain, a lot of people's trauma, and a lot of people's heartache goes straight back to free choice and the sin of enemy the enemy and his influence of sin
0: yeah so what we oftentimes contort god's permissive will and his allowance to is that he was the active agent in committing the crime and so we say oh his silence is deafening in that he must have made it happen and that is a false concept exactly what you're talking about because what the lord has created in the framework of existence is free will There is choice and there is responsibility, and he, as the active cause of all things, created us with that free will to be causation in and of ourselves. And so in this aspect of free will, that is where the agency of evil occurs. That is where the active agency of the devil and the demonic and sin occurs, and it's not that God... Can't prevent that. He could. He could make us all robots and make sure that nothing ever happens. But with this aspect of free will, gives the opportunity for evil to occur.
1: One of the things that I see is, let's go back to the lion analogy, is you know I have this person I love in my life that has this lion in the yard, and God, I've been praying for you for a long time to take this lion out of their yard. I've been begging you and pleading for you to get rid of this lion, and so I'm upset with you, or I'm disappointed that you're not answering my prayers over taking this lion away.
0: And you know what? You know what? This just popped in my head. We don't understand delegated authority. We don't understand delegated responsibility either. That the authority to have freedom from the line comes from a heart that is subject to the king. And if you submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will lift you up. And so it's not so much God actively going against your will. No, he wants to come and move in agreement with a will submitted to his. And so if you're not willing to admit your sin, say, yeah, there is a lion, I do have an issue, it is tearing everything up, but if you want to ignore it, God's going to go, okay, I will respect you. I know you need freedom from this lion, but I'm going to wait for you to come to me for that freedom.
1: And if you're the person that doesn't have the lion in their yard, but you're praying for your neighbor that has the lion, your son, your father, your husband, that has a lion in their yard that is ravaging your yard as well, then it's recognizing that maybe you're doing something wrong. And, and that's hard to hear when you have someone in your life mm-hmm. that that has you know, alcohol problems, that has a drug problem, that has a pornography issue, that has um, big things that are – killing you, that are emotionally wounding you and destroying you. But did God tell you to go mend their fences and to remove the
0: effects, yeah. the
1: consequences of that lion from their yard? In fact, maybe he wants you to put up a stronger barrier between your yard and their yard and allow the lion to ravage them so they have to change, and he's not asking you to remove their consequences. So maybe there's something that you're doing wrong that you're not taking ownership of, and instead you're blaming God because in your view – You're cleaning up after this lion and it's exhausting and you're weary and you're tired and you're like, God, where are you? I've been praying about this lion for years. And so in your point of view, you're not recognizing that you yourself are a part of this equation.
0: And what we find is that we, we are unwilling to take responsibility for our fault, whether that be 5%, whether that be 1%. But what we need to recognize is that we are culpable in enabling people's bad decisions or we are going to be a strong boundary for them to take the responsibility they should and in their own actions. But on this, on the flip, what we also in turn do is we put a false expectation upon God and how he should do things according to how we think.
1: And because we tend to... Act out what we believe. If we're believing that it's our responsibility to clean up and provide for this person or remove their consequences, then we're also believing God should be doing that too. Mm -hmm. And so we're putting it on God to be like us and to remove the line from this person's yard to take care of the bigger issue that we can't take care of because we're doing everything we can.
0: The Lord cares more about our freedom and our eternal destination more than we do. Because we're so caught up with the temporal. We're so caught up with the immediate now. And like, God, I don't want them to go through this right now. And the Lord's looking at the whole spectrum of their life and going, they need to get through this now, or they're going to be stuck with this for the next 60 years of their life.
1: God is so fearless as a parent It would be the much easier thing to do for me to control and force my kid to make the right choices, but to give them free choice to choose the wrong thing and have enough faith, enough self-control and hope in God to know that he can turn it around is much harder. Mm -hmm. And so God... You know, he hears our, our cries and us saying, Lord, I don't want to walk into the fiery furnace. Please remove the furnace. I don't want to walk through the Red Sea. I don't want to drown.
0: <laughs> this is going to be hard.
1: And he <laughs> says, I can make a way through it. Yep. And so he's so fearless about allowing us to have free choice. Mm-hmm. It would be so much easier for him to control us and to remove all of our lions.
0: Yes, it would. What we need to understand is this great courage and boldness that God holds in high regard when it comes to responsibility, when it comes to hoping the best in love, that he is willing to abdicate controlling our decisions to us so that we can freely accept him and wholeheartedly love him.
1: I think some of our disappointment with God comes from what we believe the best solution is and not seeing the best solution. And the the analogy I use is, I'm an old dresser that needs to be painted, and I just want a quick top coat. I just want God to fix the issue. I just want him to give me what I want or to remove what I want taken away.
0: Give me a facelift.
1: I want the quick fix. And he says, No, if I just put a top coat on you, it's going to peel, it's going to chip. The latter state is going to be worse than the former. We really need to sand off this paint that's on here. We need to get into all the nooks and crannies. We need to refurbish this. Mm. We need to do a new top coat.
0: Take the time to fix it right.
1: It is going to be tedious. It's going to be time staking. It's going to be a longer process. I'm going to kick and scream the whole way. But God says, You deserve. For me to do this the right way, not the the cheap, easy way that's not your best. And so because we're wanting the quick top coat and he's not giving it to us, we're disappointed with him because we don't see he's actually wanting the better for us, which is to sand off the paint that's there because we don't want to go through that pain. So we aren't going to be able to get to this last thing, which is the fear of man. So next time we are going to talk about the fear of man and how that rules our life, how it kills our breakthrough, and how it really comes against the normal Christian life, the mature Christian life.
0: So if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is and has helped you grow in your relationship with him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, let us know by visiting our landing page, delvewithus.info, and dropping us an email.
1: Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.